In episode 189, we discussed all things assessment and standards-based grading with assessment guru, Tom Shimmer. We knew you had follow-up questions around assessing in your classroom. So in this episode, we are sharing a question and answer session that we recently had with some members of the Make Math Moments Academy, and it's all around assessment with standards-based grading. Yeah, stick around and uh, you're going to hear answers to some common questions you still may have, or you may have, or maybe the teachers in your district or school or you're working with have these questions, but we're going to answer and discuss questions like how to blend standards-based grading with the current district policies. Uh, We're going to talk about how to help students buy into standards-based grading versus uh, modular grading, how you can track standards-based grading in your classroom. Like what's your mark book look like? That's a big one for a lot Mm -hmm. of folks. What does a student's mark in the course really represent? We're going to talk about that. And uh, how do you help students not erase their work so you can capture it and see it Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, add that into your assessment portfolios? Well, my friends, let's dive in. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are from MakeMathMoments.com, and we are two math teachers who, together with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver problem-based math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite your teacher moves Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. And today, we bring you a a little bit of a glimpse into one of our question and answer sessions that we hold regularly with Academy members. And uh, it wasn't planned this way, but the questions all seem to revolve around assessment and evaluation, in particular, around standards-based grading. And uh, John, after we held that session, we thought, holy smokes, this is so connected to the recording we just did with Tom Shimmer, who, uh, for those who are haven't listened yet. You got to go back and listen to Tom's interview. Also, um, Tom was a part of our virtual summit last year. So Academy members can go and watch his summit session, which was fantastic. We just start scratching the surface in the Mm -hmm. interview on the podcast. Uh, so we encourage you to go check that out if you haven't yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then this Q&A just sort of allowed us yeah. to kind of dig deeper and talk about some specific questions that uh, are pretty common when people start sure. uh, kicking around the idea of shifting their assessment practice. Yeah, and we thought this was a great one-two punch, uh, you know, series in, in assessment for the podcast. So if you have not yet listened to 189, that's the previous episode, just, uh, just hit back on your your podcast platform there and uh, go one episode back and listen to that one first and i think that would give you a good uh you know base and overview of what we talk specifically about in this episode like kyle said we address some common questions teachers have um, whereas tom's episode kind of does an overarching idea of what assessment uh, should be and should look like in your classroom so we're excited for you to listen to this one um let's get into it 
Awesome. Here we go, friends. Today was the very last day of classes. Last day of classes, but we don't have any exams. We don't have any end of year summative assessments. There's no 30%, Kyle. Our Ontario teachers know that at the end of the year, all Ontario classes have a 30% end of year summative, culminating activity, evaluation, exam, call it something like that, or any combination of that. That's a normal year is we have that. This year, we didn't have any of those didn't have it this semester. So quick win for me is last day of classes. Just even though you say goodbye to your students, it's still like, hey, summer, summer's here. It's here. And it's just, it feels good, doesn't it? That's my quick win. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And uh, in my world, we are wrapping things up in our consultant role where we're trying to sort of wrap up loose ends from this school year. And also we're taking care of a couple summer programs as well. So we've been putting some finishing touches on that. And it's been great to see some new educators raising their hands to run those programs in the summer, which is awesome. And I'm looking forward to thinking ahead to John, you and I are going to be doing some presenting in the summer. One place we'll be hanging out is in Denver so I've been sort of thinking a little bit, thinking ahead about that. So that's a, another quick win for me. So it's been about a week since I've been in a classroom because all the teachers are wrapping things up and everybody's sort of like, no, we've got this for the rest of the school year. So my quick win isn't a classroom quick win, which typically I like it to be, but I'm looking ahead. I'm looking to uh, doing a little traveling, a little presenting. Uh, actually, John, for you and I, it'll be the first time We'll be presenting together live in the flesh with a group of real human beings that are not virtual. So that's going to be the first time since pre-COVID, which, yeah, like, I don't know. Are we going to remember how to do that? I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure we will. But it's like we were, it's like, it's one of, it's going to be feel like our first time all over again. It's going to, you're going to have the jitters and be like, oh, I don't know how this live. It's like the first day of teaching, you know, that first day of school. Exactly. So folks, if this is your first time joining us on our Q&A slash learning sessions that we hold monthly, hey, welcome. We welcome you. If this is your second time, third time, maybe I've seen some faces here that have been here many times. But if this is your first time, hey, this session is all about you guys and we take questions. So think about any kind of question you might want to pop in the chat or turn your mic on in just a moment. But we also like to start with quick wins. But we could have some different groups here, Kyle. We could have some of our academy members who join these monthly, but we also could have some folks that have joined the summer cohort of the online workshop. They're working through that right now throughout the summer. So we could have both of those groups here joining us tonight. But thanks for that quick win. Let's open the floor, Kyle. Anybody else want to jump in here and give us a quick win? Could be any anything that you want to share just to kind of get things rolling here. Yeah. Let's see. I'm going to throw the little party celebration yes. emoji out there because I know there's someone who wants to share a little quick win here. I can share. <laughs> All, right. All right. Nice job, it- Christine. This is my first time joining one of these sessions, but I'm taking the summer class and I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm on module four. And so I'm out of school right now. We got out at the end of May, but I'm really enjoying the class. And I have been meeting with my seventh grade team 
for some curriculum planning for the fall. And I think I've gotten them on board with more of a notice and wonder kind of discovery approach, at least for like warmups and things than they have done in the past. So that's my quick win that I think I convinced them. I love it. And actually, I think I remember reading that on the discussion forum. So awesome. That's great. Great news. Great quick win. And really, it sounds like that's a a start, right? Like that's really all you can ask for is that everybody's open and willing to give it a shot and see what works. And I think as you look ahead to that, just considering the fact that when we try anything new, things are maybe not going to be as easy as they were when you've maybe had 10 years in the classroom doing something a certain way. So sort of getting your head in that that minds or that headspace to sort of be ready for those and trying to think as a team, how you'll be able to combat some of those challenges. So good on you and your team. Thanks so much. Anybody else? I'll be brave. Awesome. There Thanks so is. much, Laura. Brave soul. <laughs> So I have totally enjoyed everything. I've stumbled upon you guys when I was looking for something to do for Pi Day. And I came up with your Pi, I don't even remember what it was. And then it just was a rabbit hole of like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Going in circles. Yeah. So I started reading Thinking Classrooms. And just today, on Monday, I'm starting with my own had a sixth grader and eighth grader uh, summer school session, and I pulled some of their friends in trying to get more of the idea of the thinking classroom ahead of the game. So I'll start that in the fall. And I was really nervous of like, I don't know how to do this. I don't like I've been hearing a lot, but the practicality of doing it is what's been scaring me. And so I opened up Peter Littlejaw's book this morning, and it was dedicated for every teacher who has had the courage to change. And that really stuck in my head and heart to be like, okay, I'm not going to be perfect, but it's going to be that excitement and fear together that it's going to be a change. And I really am praying that it's going to be a positive one. Love it. Love Love it. it. Yeah, total. That's a great message to kind of kick things off to it. And I know that so many teachers have had great results and also career changing trajectories because of the book. And it's only been, oh, what, a year, maybe two years. And it's been a great resource. And I, Laura, I just went through, I think, three or four chapters again, just this week, reading some about the homework uh, chapter, the chapter about, oh, the, I think it was not the group work chapter, but I think it was notes, like how to make good notes in that chapter. So good refresher for me too. Yeah, that's the uh, notes to your future forgetful self. That's right. right? That's right. Fantastic book. And actually in there, when you were opening it up, I was, I had a flashback. I think John, you and I have a little blurb in there in the acknowledgements in the book there, just wishing Peter and sort of referencing how much it's impacted our work as well. So great read. I just got my hands on the supplementary version, which is to kind of address different models and modes of instruction. So that just landed on my desk at work the other day. So I took a quick peek through it, but I'm looking forward to digging a little deeper there. So good on you. Thanks for sharing those wins, Christine and Laura. Friends, I am wondering, I'm looking at the time. I want to make sure that we get a chance to dive into some of those common pebbles in your shoe. Now, keep in mind, I use the word common, but don't think that it has to be a common pebble. Usually people think it's only a pebble in their own shoe. 
but it usually turns out that it's actually something that's kicking around in many people's shoes. So don't worry about that, about it being common or not. I'm going to tell you that it probably is more common than you realize. So let's open that floor up and let's dig in on what you friends are working on and maybe some of the things that are working and then maybe the parts that maybe aren't quite there yet or that you're still grappling with. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Yeah, and feel free to just start talking or throw it in the chat or hit the hand raise button on your Zoom there. Awesome. Put it in the car. I see JP is with us with the mic on. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but if JP, if you yeah. want to uh, share, yeah, there it goes. Oh, it went away. He, he went, it's like what I remember that Kyle, when we were there students, it was like, Hey, somebody's mic is on. And then it was like, boom, no, yeah, and then oh, it's obvious, someone like, oh, left their hand up because we asked something. And then I was like, yeah, is your we're, hand not still up? And it's like we're not trying to demote it. We're not trying to demote the idea <laughs> at all. We just want to make sure that you're aware. It, it, all right. You mean nightmare for a second. Yeah. I saw a few awesome. mics just go off, yeah. sadly. I'm going to call out one, but because Terry's joined us here and Terry was, uh, we had chatted, I think on Facebook, Terry, about uh, one of your pebbles right now that you're going through. Terry, you're going through the assessment course, I think correctly right now. And you uh, were talking about standards-based grading. Hey, do you want to turn your mic on and let us know what you're thinking? And then the group here, I know that we always think that the group knows more than one. So the group can help guide any suggestions around the grading that you're venturing into right now? Well, the first thing I'll start with the win. I actually finished the assessment for growth today. So, which I, I'll bring something else about that later. But the question I have is trying to go to this kind of grade book is I'm at a school that requires two daily grades per week and two test grades every four and a half weeks because we do progress reports every four and a half weeks. So I have to have two daily grades per week, two test grades every four and a half weeks. So I'm trying to figure out how to make that work with the standard-based grading in a way that lets it flow together. Gotcha. Gotcha, Terry. Why don't you, now for everyone in the room here, just because there's a group, why don't you just do a quick, in your own words, in, in what you have kind of come to realize what standards-based grading is to you, can you maybe just do a quick summary so people will kind of make sure that we all are on the same page? Just put me on the spot, why don't you? <laughs> That's what and I'm doing. And actually, Terry, before <laughs> you do, I sort of wanted to actually extend that a little bit and sort of say, 
how are you seeing it? Like what parts are you liking? So not necessarily what is it, because I think that definition can be so many different viewpoints on that. And I think it would look and sound a little differently in different classrooms, but I guess what's the elements of it that you're after? Like, why do you want to do this work? And then that might help us to better understand the the aspects that you really want to make sure that you're honing in on and still managing to not get fired at the same time if your district has certain restrictions. Well, part of it is my students come in, like I imagine most people's, it's such a very grade level. I teach mostly 10th and 11th graders, but some not, some 12th, but mostly 10th and 11th, algebra one, algebra two. And I have students anywhere that come to me anywhere from a fourth grade to an eighth grade level usually. And so I like the idea of trying to do the assessment and let students progress where they are instead of just giving everybody the same thing, because some people just are never going to succeed if you give everybody the same thing. And so I think part of the standards-based grading allows students to work more at their own speed, at their own level, allows you to go back more maybe than traditional grades do. I like the fact that you talk about being able to change the grade. I remember, because John mentions this a lot, September 23rd. <laughs> so, it's always that date, huh? Yep. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's always that date. So that you don't have, that you can go back and change those grades. And it's a flex, it's a, a grade in flux, basically. I like that idea, uh, uh, the spiraling. And I've tried to do some of that before, but like one of the problems I've had with it, when I've tried to do it the way I was trying to do it before was, the only people that ever wanted to do the retake, and I'm a firm believer to do a retake, you've got to show me there's a reason to let you do the retake. I'm not just going to hand you test over and over again. The only ones that ever wanted to do the retake was the ones that wanted to go from a B to an A. Ones that failed could care less about trying to do the retake. So I think this tied in with the other stuff, because I had started using, our school year ended in May as well. I'd started using in April a little bit, in May a little bit, some of the notice and wonder stuff. And I was getting a lot more feedback and a lot more participation from doing that. So I'm trying to figure out a way to tie all of that together, still be able to get the grades that I have to give uh, without the grades being so where the, when the student sees a bad grade right off the bat, they just give up. So that's part of the whole process. I'm thinking of this whole thing of being able to do all of that together. I love it. And that helps to clarify sort of the where your mind is at. And it sounds like you've mentioned a lot of the pieces that I think are are what attracts everyone towards that system, right? It's more particular. It's more descriptive in terms of where I need to work and where I can improve, where I'm doing well already, and so on. So that's really helpful. Now, you're in a tricky spot from the perspective that you have to have this grade, quote unquote, to share. Now, the research would suggest that that's not necessarily super helpful for the learner from the perspective that I know why your district's doing it, to be honest. And I think it's just that they want to make sure that it's not the last week of the school year. And then parents find out Tommy has been failing and we've known this for months and this, the parents haven't been informed and then Tommy just sort of didn't say anything about it. So I get that perspective. It definitely throws a bit of a wrench in things in terms of you having to sort of take what they've done and then translate it into a mark. However, at the same time, 
I sometimes, I think we overthink that process. So breaking it down into these individual parts to me helps me with trying to better define what that grade should be versus the way I used to do it and the way we traditionally did it, which was we add up all the marks and then we just punch it in the calculator and it is what it is. The reality is, is that we made this decision by assigning a certain amount of marks to every question we marked, right? So we made that decision, even though we may not have been as aware of it as we maybe should have been, if that makes sense. So it's like when I put those questions on, I essentially put a line in the sand and said that this topic is going to be weighted more or less because there's more of those questions or because that one question has more marks on it. So now what we're doing is we're just kind of pushing it to the other side. And now we're actually getting to look at what the students done. We're getting to look at the body of work. And to me, I feel like it requires me to do a little more thinking, but the reality is I think you can actually come up with something that's more accurate, like a more accurate description of what that student currently, the three things I love are know, understand, and can do, right? So I like kind of think of those three things. And there's certain things in your course that might be more about knowing and certain things might be more about doing, but then these understanding pieces are really key for me if a student can like do a lot of stuff and they know a lot of stuff, but they don't actually understand it. Like to me, that understand part sort of weighs a little bit more heavily and that mark might change based on that. Now, I think the challenge that I'm interpreting here, and maybe we'll throw it back to you to get your perspective on this, but it's always nice when we can sort of say the calculator said, this is what your mark is. Now you're kind of put in a spot where now it's like, you have to be able to articulate why you put that number on there. Like you could average out your standards if you wanted to, that's one option, or you could sort of visually kind of get a sense and say, Hey, the, the most commonly occurring, right. Almost like a mode, the most commonly occurring grade is in the seventies. So I'm going to use like a 70, this to sort of describe it. But ultimately I think it's like once, as long as you have a, like an understanding of why you gave what you gave and you can tell that student and articulate it, then I think you're in the clear. And then the bonus is, and you mentioned this, is that student, if they don't like that grade, it's okay because you still have tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that, and you have the remainder of this course to show me otherwise. And like, I'm human. I'm, I, there's no way that I can tell you a 72 is your real mark because the reality is there's no way for me to know that for certain, but that's sort of like where I'm at now. And I feel like if that mindset is shared with students that you say, listen, this grade is not set in stone. It's based on where I see you now. And I want you to tell me, I want you to show me what I'm not seeing that you think you've got going on right? Or vice versa. So I said a lot there, kind of got, you know, a little carried away, but I want to flip it back to you and sort of get your thoughts on that and maybe your perspective on how that might influence or impact how you might use this. Well, part of it is it's just the district, like I said, it requires it and we have to post them online so the students and the parents can see them. We are told that we have to give immediate feedback not necessarily the same day, but 
there can't be a delay in getting grades in of whatever you're going to grade. And so all of that, to me, I just don't know. My brain, I guess, has been so stuck on traditional to go from that to the other. I can't make the two pieces jihad. Right. There's a, we got a chat going on also, Terry, in the chat, uh, kind of about some ideas that have been floating around. And I guess to kind of bring that chat out here, my question right now is, because I think this can take a different approach to help you specifically with how to blend these two ideas together. When you post those grades online, like, is that just a communication thing? Or is that like you're putting them in a set grade book and then that grade book will calculate a final mark for a kid and you don't actually have any control over how a mark is calculated? Or is it just like, I'm just posting the grades for this week and here's where everybody stands and it could be different next week. And it's like, I still calculate the grade here on my end, but I just like kind of just share it. It's it's automatic. I can either put in as a daily grade, which counts as a certain percentage. I can put in as a test grade, which counts as a certain percentage. And you don't get to change those. And I those don't percentages. I do not get to change those. That is a major wrench in that approach. I'm going to open up the floor here. I know that there's some folks here who've had some experience, I think, around this. I think, Timothy, you said you might want to jump in here. I don't know. Timothy, do you have any suggestions or like experience or, hey, just you want to just throw a comment out? Yeah, well, I've done this before. Um, Use the standards-based grading principles in a class in a school where they don't do that. Um, And with differing amounts of administrative support, what I would, what I did, which doesn't sound like it's perfect for your system, is I made each quiz be a single skill. Uh, so those would be like standards. So I, I could pretend that you know all the students are familiar with this. There's a quiz, but it's only one skill. And the key to standards-based grading is that the grade is never final. Uh, that is, that if the student shows later down the line through whatever means, then you can change that quiz score. Since you're stuck with two tests. Exactly two tests every four and a half weeks. Got to be. It's got to be at least two. It can be more than two. But but it, but, but it could be a daily grade, not necessarily a test, right, Terry? Could no, no. You just I have to have two daily grades per week, two test grades every four and a half weeks. Gotcha. Wait, wait was it two two daily grades per week? Per week. Okay. Okay. Um, so either you way, have more. And normally, I do have more. Yeah. Uh, I'm one of those people who give tests as frequently as I can. I give mm-hmm. daily grades a lot. So I have my fat principals even made comment about how many grades I've put into other teachers as a good thing. But so. yeah, but you, yeah, can, that, you, can, that. you can change the grade later down the line. Like you, there's test corrections or whatever. You can change the grade if you need to. So what I would do is probably either do like do quizzes, but call them tests and do more of them and then have each one be one skill or understanding. Or you could do a test every, you know, two weeks you do a test and it's got three skills that are being tested. And then those three skills are all independent of each other. And maybe two of those skills get spiraled again on the next test. And then if they get those skills, then you can replace those grades on that test. So you can still get that sort of, right. you have learned the skill. Yeah. You have that like growth mindset, you know, that you're changing your grades around and it's still in that test and assignments. Right. Terry, you can go back and change those later if you needed to. I can for that nine weeks. I can't go back to a previous nine weeks. So again, that 
Right. We're on, right, block, right. We're on block schedule, so we only have the two nine weeks. So yeah. I can't go back and change anything from the first nine weeks during the second nine weeks. Right. I special permission. Yeah. Right. And I can see how Timothy's kind of suggestion here could work for you with if you've got these kind of set calculations and timelines is that when you release a grade, and if you can release more than one, then you could say, look, this week we evaluated this, this, and this. Uh, these are the learning goals or the standards that we evaluated, and I'm going to release those. And if you can go back and change those, then they must be labeled somehow on your grade book. And so then you could just label them by learning goal or standard. And so then when you go back to change them, you'll know that those three released back on September 23rd. Mm-hmm are, you know, those particular standards. So then when student has shown improvement later on, you can go back and switch that grade out in that grade book. You're also maybe releasing three more this week, but you're going to go back and switch these other ones you saw improvement on throughout the time. Might not be just the grade you released this week, but you release these three and you change these other ones as all along the way. And then that can help with this calculation that the system is calculating for you. I am definitely against being restricted, right? Just having more of this open opportunity, kind of like make your own professional judgment on how you're going to do things. But because you're within this restriction, it almost, I wonder if that might, maybe if you can use that as a positive for some of those students you were referencing, who you were saying like the B's to the A's are all pushing. And then maybe some of these other students aren't. If that midway through point, that nine week mark where you go, Like by the nine weeks, this is how the system works. It's not how I work. And please understand that I'm not saying that after that nine weeks that I want you to not be able to improve. I will still give you opportunities to improve, but do know that between now and then is like your window of opportunity to like make some changes here and to show me, right. Right. To show me that you've done the learning. And then after that point, that stuff's going to be there. Okay. But it's not, you know, a death sentence or anything like that, because we still have these other nine weeks and I'm still going to spiral in some of these ideas so that you still have opportunities to get credit and all of those things. So in some ways, maybe it could be a bit of a blessing in disguise from the perspective of like, I know I had some students every year, no matter what, I'm sure John, you'd probably agree. It's like in the last week of the school year is when all of a sudden Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the pressure's on and now they want to do all of this work. And of course, I'm going to support them in that work, but I'm going to be real with them and tell them, you know, we don't have a ton of time. Like yesterday in the district office, I got a call from a grade 12 student asking for numbers for tutors for their data management exam, which was happening three days from then. I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work out well for you here, you know, like, so like in that scenario, not so hot, but I don't know. I look at that and I think if you can find a way, like if you know the system really well, your students understand the restrictions that you're limited to, is there a way that we can use this as maybe Mm -hmm. a bit of a motivating factor to not let it sort of go on too long? Because if you get past the halfway point in the year and you haven't already started addressing some of those learning goals, then it's probably, it's not going to happen anyway, just from a logistical perspective. And I think Kyle, to add on to that, one of the most important things you said there right at the beginning is making it clear to the students what these numbers mean and how Mm -hmm. you're going about doing it. Like making sure it's a completely wide open on your philosophy. And I think when your kids know that then those numbers that show up online, you know, are trying to be reflective of where they are, but they know that if they know that that's in flux, 
it's not such mm-hmm. a big deal anymore. And so I think m- more importantly, communicating to the students and also your parents, what your philosophy is on assessment and why that's important mm-hmm. is probably the most important thing to do. And I was just looking at the chat and, and Kelly had mentioned just this idea of like, trying to get unmotivated students Mm -hmm. to do retakes. And I avoid using the term retakes. It can mean so many different things, but Mm -hmm. I know what it used to mean for me. And I would like reprint off a different version of the test. And I would hand it out with standards-based grading. The part I love is it's like, it's just these two things that you've really struggled with. So I only want to talk to you about these two things. If you want to talk about these other things, I can do that with you, but I don't want to remark all the things that you've already proved that you're doing well. I'm still going to assess you on those things later. But right now, the urgent need, the urgent student learning need that is at play are these two things right here. And my descriptive feedback might be that you have struggled with this part, this part, and here's the next step or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. Mm -hmm. Let's chat about that. And I find that by making it a little bit more bite-sized, then it's a little less daunting for a student. Now, if a student gets 30% or something, then that's still a lot that that's just the reality of it. But even still that 30% that they've got, it's like, let's move beyond that. And like, let's get to the real problem versus them coming in at lunch and us just sort of aimlessly trying to reteach everything. So there's some benefit there as well. And I guess to build onto that, Kyle, and this might not fit Terry's suggestion right away, but maybe it helps address Kelly's pebble about convincing students. I've had some success, and I know that, Kyle, you used to do this as well when you were teaching your grade nines, is that when we gave that grade, because the, the, the studies show that if you give a grade and a comment, kids just look at the grade anyway and throw the comment out. I withheld grades from them from seeing that. So I would write comment only based off that research. And and I felt like it went really hand in hand with standards-based grading to help the kids that normally wouldn't do a retake because now it's like, what's my mark? And I just say, I don't put it in like until it's good, right? Until it's right. And so it's like, they think they're getting a zero or they think it's <laughs> like, it's not up to standards yet, which I'm saying it's not, but when it is, that's when I will write a grade on it. It's like, hey, you've met the standard. Awesome. Now I can put it in. So it's like in our class, it becomes a norm that you're going to get it back. Everyone's going to get it back, but you're going to get it back and you have to fix it till the standard. And I'll tell you when you reach that standard by the comment you get. And if you've already met the standard, awesome. You don't have to hand that back in. But if you haven't yet, hey, you've got to get there. So you could have really close to the standard. You could Mm -hmm. have, you know, way off. So it becomes this normal thing that we do on a regular basis that have to kind of get that back in or or reassess. So it's almost like a a no option. You kind of have to do it. And it helps with the kids who normally would look at it, go, I got to pass. I'll throw it in the garbage now. Right. And I, I think too, something I like there, John, about that. And I see Kelly shaking her head, you know, yes to that, that idea is, every student is different as well. So like Mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. John thinks is good for that student to put into the computer might be different than the next student. So it's like, again, it's not necessarily that everyone's exactly the same. And I'm going to guess, John, like part of it is probably like motivation or uh, effort is probably like Mm -hmm. big in in your mind. Like, did you, like, you didn't even like try, I don't want to put this in because I know you're capable of so much more and I want to see you 
reach that goal that you can reach to. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Terry, you, I think you were jumping in there. Go ahead. It, it kind of leads to another question I had was uh, one thing that John had said in the video was that, and, and I love the idea of the two columns where you write your feedback and then they re- do their rework. What happens, what are the consequences to students who don't do anything to improve once you hand it back to them? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. So like when I say I, I don't write down the comment on them, it's mandatory that they hand it back in. You're right. I do have students who don't hand it back in or, you know, you're hounding them to get it back in. I still record what grade I think they would get. I just don't sure. write it on the page. Mm-hmm. So if they don't hand it back in, they get what they got. And okay. when they improve, I will then take that improvement into account. But sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, we're going to get the standard. But I also use professional judgment on how consistently they meet that standard. So it's like they fix it till it's right and it comes back in, but then it might not automatically change that grade right then until I see more consistency along those same lines. But it's still a mandatory thing that you have to kind of like get it right. Like, I guess this idea, Kyle, you and I chatted about this a while ago. It's like this idea is like, in English class, kids always got the first draft and then they would hand it in, teacher would give them feedback, they get it back, and then they'd write the final draft. That's like a thing. Uh, but it's not right. a thing. Not in math, in math class. class. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like we might do a quiz, but we can always get the kid towards a right answer. And it's like, okay, just because you got this far now doesn't mean we're done. Mm-hmm. It means we need to get there. And then you might take a little longer, you might take a little longer, but then we got to keep pushing along those lines. We can't just say, here it is, you're done. That's where kids start to realize like, oh, well, I'm validated. When I see the number come back, I'm validated. I'm done that thing. I'm going to move yeah. on. And instead of seeing mathematics as a continual improvement over of skills over time, and I think we have to help kids realize that. I think too, John, the other piece is like, and this kind of goes back to that student who maybe isn't taking the feedback, isn't putting any additional effort in like you, the hard part is you feel like you're putting all this effort in and they're not, they're not reciprocating. And that can make you feel bitter. Like it's a human nature that you're like, wow, I'm working so hard and you're not. And one thing that I found really helpful is like, if you can make almost like an intentional note to yourself of like these three students are not following through on my feedback. It's like, what can I do during the class when they're working on a problem for me to try to find some success on this stuff that I asked them to do? And so it's like, I know they didn't put any extra thought into it. I'm not going to go and reward them for that. But what I do want them to see is that they're improving even though they didn't commit any energy to it. So it's like, if I could go and give them just a little bit of that motivation to say like, wow, I've noticed a significant difference. Do you remember the feedback I told you about? I said this, this, and this. Notice how like right here, 
This is what I'm talking about. And that could be an opportunity for you to help them a little, right? To kind of like almost help them along that journey, that feedback journey. And for them to maybe realize that like, this change doesn't have to happen by me going home and doing homework by myself. Because sometimes I think kids think that it's like, if the only way for me to improve this is by going home and at eight o'clock tonight, I'm going to do an hour of homework. And it's like, no, we can do these improvements in little small steps throughout the class. So that could be maybe something that you might throw in your repertoire is like, okay, today I'm going to be talking to, you know, Tom about this. And I'm going to try to find something I can glean from that to kind of show him that he's on the right track. And of course, I want more out of that student, but I want them to see that, hey, you're heading in the right direction and hopefully get Mm -hmm. a little bit of motivation. I see a hand here from Stephanie. Stephanie, do you want to uh, chime in here? Yeah, I do. I have been following you and I've just wanted to implement a lot of things. I've been on a journey and I've trying, I remember seeing something about your standard base, how you would do feedback on a spreadsheet. I don't know if it was you, Kyle, or yes. you, or, and yeah. I was trying to we learn more did, about yeah. that and how much work that was. Do you still do it? Right. Yeah. We can definitely chat about that. So Kyle and I, when we first ventured down this pathway with a changing of assessment, kind of like uh, what Terry is doing right now. And we built a, a spreadsheet to track uh, learning goals. And then we customized that spreadsheet with a lot of backend coding that allowed us to share that Google spreadsheet with kids. And we would write comments in for learning goals and it was custom to like give them next steps. So I don't use that format anymore just because it was clunky, right? Kyle, like it was great because it was customized to a kid, but also clunky. And I think there are better tools that somewhat do what we were trying to do now. Like I would still argue there's no tool yet that does exactly what Kyle and I were doing with a spreadsheet. And John, when we made these spreadsheets, just to kind of let everybody, everybody know, we did this envisioning that we were going to create an app that did this. Like that was like Like kind of our goal. This was, yeah, like exactly like 10 years, eight to 10 years ago. And we were like, well, we need to like figure out what it is exactly we want. And we talked with some developers, we did all kinds of things. And then it was really difficult to get to the place we wanted. So this is just a sample one. These are, it's a copy of something I use. This was probably six or seven years ago. Now that looks like your daily sheet instead of the assessment sheet that we built. Yeah, this isn't the assessment, darn. But it it looked very similar. (laughs) And it was very, you know, we would just, basically it would be a public sheet that you could access like John would have his own or, you know, Tom would have their own or Timothy would have their own and students could go and like see the feedback. And when we updated it, because it was a Google sheet, basically it would like go live right away. So that was a part that we really liked mm-hmm. about it. We would just have our computer open. And like, if a student came and had a conversation with us and I, I was like, wow, like great job. Here's that, you know, I could go and type a sentence in to uh, give them a sense of where they were at. Yeah, here's another version of it. Look, you guys can see my screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's probably small to see on your screens is you had our names down the side. And then these big kind of columns across here are learning goals. And so we built it that way. And then we would put a grade in here for a learning goal on, on that particular learning goal. And then we would change this over time. So basically it was a big sheet, but we also tied this to a student sheet 
So a student would see something like this instead of what we're seeing, but it is, it is, is broken. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It does look, well, we haven't, I haven't used this in forever, but it, it is clunky to set up. And, and that's why we stopped recommending it to people, but she probably brings up like, what do we do now? Basically the whole point of what we are doing, right. Is try to communicate to kids where they stand on the learning goal so that they can see what we see and they can contribute to it as well. That's what our sheet didn't allow them to do. So actually what I use now is a fresh grade, which is basically a portfolio tool, but I set up the portfolio so that each assignment, think of it like a grade book. This is actually the grade book in fresh grade. Each of these grades that you set up is a learning goal. And then I can customize how I assess that learning goal. So I've chosen some stars and some color coding to account for particular grades. And I can go in here and click and change these along the fly as students demonstrate more learning. But what I like about this system is that if we look at a particular kid's portfolio, what they would see is this, and then they can see these, but they can also add to this on their end. They can make comments. And so then when they add evidence of learning, it's visual, it's a collection, like each one of these kind of boxes is a learning goal. So then you can see work that they contribute to it. This is what we use or I use now is that students will contribute work here. And then I can see like when there's more than one picture, I can see them kind of pile up and see how the learning has changed over time. And then we can have an ongoing conversation about that learning goal in that little box. So it's all kind of combined in that kind of setup. Again, it's not like perfect. There's things that I could change about it, but it's so far better than things that I've seen and I still find it very functional for the students to kind of see where they are. And we have this conversation that I was talking about with Terry is that trying to make sure you communicate what these numbers or these stars mean to them and how they are changeable and they do fluctuate. And I think that's the one most important, but they get to contribute to it, which is a nice thing that was different than our spreadsheet. You can put in like things that they can do to upgrade or change, or even you can add some assignments or videos even in here to say, hey, look, on rates of change, you could be doing these things to improve, or hey, you need some help, we go watch some videos in here. So this is like a portfolio tool. That's the way they've talked about fresh grade and, and was created for that purpose. And I've just kind of manipulated a little bit to do what we're trying to do in standard space grading. I see in the chat. Yeah. Thanks for sharing there. Uh, Timothy was just saying this challenge with like trying to assign a grade when you feel like a student could do better, like if they were capable mm -hmm. of more, right. Or, or you, maybe you had seen it demonstrated and that's where I know John, you and I have over time sort of developed this style of like, we'd have feedback there. We'd make comments even for ourselves to remind ourselves of things, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we wouldn't necessarily let say a piece of student work, sort of like this piece of student work is this. So there's the mark. We would allow those observations and conversations also have an influence or an mm -hmm. impact. One thing though, that we would always promote is like, we don't want students to always sort of expect that, well, he's seen me do it over here and here and over there. And we've had conversations. So everything's okay. And my product that I share, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. So it's kind of like this balancing act of like not getting students sort of like relying on, oh, I'm going to get a higher grade because 
he's observed me do these things over here. So I'm not going to try hard on this thing over here as well. So it's always a balancing act. And I think too, a lot of it's very individual. So it might involve having individual conversations with different students. Like this student you're noticing isn't following through on any feedback. I'm going to maybe have a conversation, try to get to the bottom of why that is. Or this student over here is like trying to upgrade every three seconds. And you're like, I can't keep up. I need you to maybe take less opportunities to upgrade and spend more time on the original work because it seems as though that you're maybe rushing here and then you're just trying to like upgrade, 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 upgrade. So it's like, okay, let's work with that student to try to help them make their initial product better, right? That might be the feedback for that student. Not saying they can't upgrade, but we just want to make sure that like every student is sort of being addressed in the, you know, and getting the feedback that they need in terms of like, how do we do this better? Ultimately, at the end of the day, I think we all want students to do it really well the first time right? Like that's where we want you to get to eventually, right? Like at my job, I don't want to just always have my boss saying, oh, I need you to resubmit that. Oh, I need you to resubmit that. So it's a balancing act. And of course, you're going to have to find that like line with different students, different parents, for example. But I think one of the main keys is that as long, and I, I see in caps here, Timothy put in the word believe is what jumps off the screen. As long as you believe in what you're doing and why you're doing it, And if you communicate that to the students and to the parents, if you are clear on that, I feel like the pushback is always so minimal, right? Mm -hmm, You might mm -hmm, have a couple mm -hmm. instances here and there, but I think the key is knowing why you're doing what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's okay too, if at first, if you're like, listen, I'm experimenting here and I want your feedback because I want you to help shape how I'm assessing as well. Like that's good too. But as long as you don't, I think sometimes we dig in and that's like a defense mechanism where we dig in on an idea. Maybe we don't truly believe it yet, but we want to like save face. I think when you say, Hey, I'm trying this for the first time. And the reason I'm trying it is because I want that student to get as much out of this class as possible, not to limit marks, not to make life miserable. I want it Mm -hmm. for the student. I feel like it's so hard for a parent or administrator to kind of come back at you and say something negative, right? Because they're like, wow, it's out of a place of care. And you know, you're doing your best to try to be the best you can be for students. I think complaints or pushback happens because a kid might go home and say something to parents that says, like, you know, this is unfair, or I, I don't, you know, like that's usually what I've seen where kids will kind of say that to parent, parent calls the school, parent calls the classroom. Hey, what's going on here? Like, I'm not sure. And when a student feels threatened like that, that's that's usually what they do. But so if a student feels like you have their best interest at heart and you've explained it, then that's where they won't go home and, and complain to parents at home. And then all of a sudden there's no calls because there's no complaining and everyone's feeling supported. Yeah, I love it. And from the communication side, I know that in the chat, we're talking about a little bit differently about having these meetings. Timothy was talking about having individual meetings and almost like a mandate by the school or the district. When it comes to the communication with, say, the parents, something as simple as like doing a quick screen record or on your phone, a quick one minute video, just sort of explaining like your philosophy on it and sending that home to the parent. 
that can go a long way as well, right? You could have a meeting where parents come in, but I've been there and I know it's usually like, you know, the parents of the students that you don't really want to talk to necessarily or need to talk to that show up. So even just something as simple as that, where you just sort of say, Hey, this is how we're going to be doing. I don't want any surprises when, you know, the first round of grades come out or whatever, Mm -hmm. like, here's how it goes. A lot of students are going to communicate that to their parents, but a lot of students won't, they'll forget They won't think it's important enough to chat about with their parents. So the quicker you can get them on board, I think the easier your life becomes. And then also, I think you also might get more support at home from parents going, Hey, did you talk to, you know, Mr. Orr about that grade and, and like what you're going to do or that you have been working or whatever it might be. A lot of times parents are in the dark about that and they could be giving that extra support to try to nudge students along as well. Timothy, you've got your hand up. Yeah, I can physically. (laughs) I I can just reiterate that the parents who came to back to school night took place like two weeks after the school began. Teachers would communicate the ideas about everything. I never had a parent complain or be worried about the standard based grading because I sold it. You know, I had 10 minutes to sell it. I sold it pretty well. And then the key idea, of course, is just that students who learn a skill get a higher grade based on that. And no parent can really complain with that. The ability to retake things and have their grades go up. Mm-hmm. It's so humane that parents understand it. So mm-hmm. it's really important to get that out to parents right away. Try to get them to be able to say when their student is struggling, hey, why don't you do the thing that they talked about at the beginning of the year and try to improve those scores? It, it can really help. I love it. I love it. That's always awesome to hear You know, from the field, from uh, folks who are in the trenches doing that work. And uh, I'm right with you on there. And I think too, if you have that chance to have that face on like face-to-face meeting, it's like parents can sense it in your tone of your voice, right? About Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. how passionate you are about why you're doing what you're doing. Like it's not easier for you as a teacher. It's harder. It's more like there's more work involved, but I think it's more work up front. Once you're in this routine though, it makes everything else easier. You don't have those disgruntled parent calls or, you know, these challenging situations near the end of the year. It just becomes about learning, which is why we got into this in the first place. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Mm -hmm. Anybody else want to jump in here with a comment? Good point. Yeah, no, I'm just looking at the chat. Timothy just mic drop right there. He just said the only parents who've been nervous about it are the ones with A plus students, like top of the class students who are now almost like threatened that it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, there'll be more competition. I will say even some of the students sometimes feel that way because like they feel like they've been robbed in some way, like they got it the first time. And the conversation I have, and I know you've had this conversation, John, with some students is, you know, Mm -hmm. talking to them about like how blessed that person is not saying they never worked hard, but to be able, I'm like, imagine you were that student that had to put an extra six hours in to get not even close to where your grade is the first time. And you talk about like equity and equality. And it's a really important conversation, I think, for those students who maybe the math has come naturally to them, or they've had tutoring since they were young, or they, you know, they have all these extras that maybe some other students don't have. So I always like to bring that up in that conversation with students on day one as well, is kind of having that 
conversation and saying like, you should, you know, you have to look at it and say, it's not always about, you know, you putting in or doing the homework. It's like the homework might've came easy to you, but it's not coming easy to everyone. And that means everyone needs to have different opportunities to, you know, to excel. So good point there, Timothy. Stephanie asks, what does the assessment course in the academy uh, address? And so since I'll stop typing, because I can just answer verbally. Uh, <laughs> and we know Steph- John doesn't like typing and talking. At the I can't same do time. two it's things at once. No. no, Stephanie, it's a course, uh, like a full five modules course based on our conversation here that we're having, whereas we go through from start to finish, how to change your assessment policies, why you should be changing those policies or practices. Uh, we give them suggestions and tips and how-tos on formative assessment practices. Standards-based grading is a full module in there, and then how to set that up. We've kind of touched on this. I, I go through a couple different lessons on how you can capture marks, how you can change marks. I do a walkthrough on FreshGrade. I do a walkthrough if you wanted to use Google Slides. I know that some teachers use Google Slides to set up their portfolios. We talk about how to help parents and students buy into this idea. So stakeholders, we have some live uh, or not live, but uh, recorded session calls with teachers who have gone through this and use this in their classroom. And kind of like we we break down what they do and how they can improve in there as well. So it's basically a full course on if you're looking for how to change your assessment practices so that you are assessing growth and and moving towards helping students understand that assessment should be for growth. That's what we built. So it's kind of that a course based off this conversation doesn't go full depth of what we do in the course, but the course does. Yep. It's one of those things we've had some Academy members who have taken, like I've gone through that course, but then they, every once in a while, they'll go back and re-look at a module, right? Just to kind of, you know, it's a process, right? It's like, you can't just sort of take it all in and expect it's just going to all work and and fall into place right away, right? Other than the flagship online workshop that Christina's in right now, it's probably the most completed course we have by our members, just because it's the natural next step to, hey, I'm changing some of my lessons. How do I consolidate that with the way I'm supposed to grade. And so it's a natural kind of uh, progression to change lessons into grading practices. Yep. That is that nice summary there, John. Yeah. So for friends who are in the online workshop, keep in mind, uh, the Academy has lots and lots of goodness in there as well. Way too much for you to gobble up in any one school year, as you can probably imagine, those who are in the online workshop, that's there's a lot in there. Um, we go and do deep dives into some of our other courses as well here, which again, are just good to kind of just keep you on your toes and keep you thinking. And sometimes they'll go deeper into ideas that we bring up in the online workshop, but then go in a little bit further and some of them are very content specific, like this one here on proportional mm-hmm. relationships, which uh, was a bit of a, a pet project of ours with our newer understanding of how students are really struggling with a lot of number concepts, including multiplying, dividing, and proportions. So lots of learning to be had over on the academy. Right, right. I'll just say this to somebody hey. who just finished the assessment for growth today. So well, well worth doing it. My only complaint about the whole thing, 
is it was yeah. only 10 hours of PD. And it took a whole you know lot longer than 10 hours. You know what we need from friends <laughs> like you, my friend, is like if you have like a general when we go and we throw the hours of PD down, a lot of it is like it's us estimating. So if you have, you know, if you flip us an email uh, yeah. and this goes for anyone who's taking any of the courses, if you're going like, wow, like it says this many hours, but it actually took me this much time. That would be really helpful for us because we do hear that a lot, especially for those who truly do answer the questions in the forum and they spend time reflecting and writing things down. That would be really helpful for us as well. So we would be happy to uh, adjust your certificate for whatever that amount is that you feel is uh, what you had put into that course for sure. And I don't want to monopolize because I've talked a lot, but I do have a couple of kind of specific questions. I wanted to ask you. Uh, sure, sure. All right. So like last year, I started trying to do some uh, keeping up with grade level improvement for the whole year. And so like if I had a student who improved from a fifth grade level to a seventh grade level, but I had another student who started at eighth grade level, almost made it to ninth grade level. So didn't even complete a full grade level, but almost. Which one of them would you give the better grade to? Mm, that's a toughie. That is a toughie, my friend. Now, I think at least the way we've looked at it has been more because of the standards base that we use. We tend to look at it from regards to those specific standards, but you're looking at it more like a grade level, Mm -hmm. which is a huge growth. Like here in Ontario, when we give that grade for grade, let's say the grade nine de-streamed math course, it's like, here are the you know components, the standards from that course. And we are assessing based on those standards. So a student could possibly have grown from a grade three level to a grade five level, which is mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm. but they would still not necessarily perform all that well in the de-streamed course because so much of the content is yeah. above the grade five level, right? right? So yeah, that is I- a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I was going to say, I think for me, it definitely comes down to the standards. And then that's what, like you said, Kyle, here in Ontario, that's exactly what we have to do based on our policy is, is that your mark is, is supposed to represent how well they understand the standards of that course in that year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you could have shown significant growth more than somebody else. But did you perform better on the standards consistently than that student? And I think one thing, John, you you have got me through the assessment course, really digging into my state standards. And one of the ones I found was that we're supposed to meet kids where they are, basically. Yep. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. If I'm meeting them at third grade and I get them to sixth grade in one year, then to me, that's worthwhile you know right right so that i figure that gives me a little wiggle room by that actually being in the standards i mean as in the course standards altogether so to me and 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 that definitely is don't get us wrong like we think that's amazing Mm -hmm. and we would also agree like yes we need to meet students where they are but when it does come down to i guess the question you have to ask yourself is when you do put that mark down whether it's you know you're after the nine weeks or after the entire course is sort of like, what does that mean? And what were the standards that you were using? So there could be still like significant growth in that standard, right? There might be some significant growth there, but 
unfortunately for a student who maybe started like with very little understanding of all those standards. And, you know, maybe that student grew a lot compared to this other student who started here. Sadly, that that result, that final grade is going to look a lot better for the student who started much further ahead. Heck, that student could have came in here and not learned anything mm-hmm. and literally mm-hmm. left the course and would still, unfortunately, have a grade that might be higher than that student who worked their tail off. And we do have learning skills, which mm-hmm. is another part of our report card, which is graded on excellent, good, satisfactory needs improvement. And those there, like you might have like ease across the board, like, you know, they're wow, like their their responsibility, their self-regulation, their, you know, all of these things uh, might all be ease. But it's just that that student actually e entered good, into this. Good, excellent. E is good. Yes, E for excellent. <laughs> but that student, unfortunately, I wouldn't want to have a number there that would sort of suggest that that student did really well in all of these expectations when that's not actually the case for that particular student. Okay. Well, the reason reason I look at the year the grade level growth is our district uses IXL, which can do a lot of assessing by grade level. And you can see their growth that way. And so that's why I started using that uh, a good bit. Last year, I used it basically as a test grade based on their growth over the year. But I'm just trying to figure out what would be better. And then I'm just curious, like, I know you said you have one day a week where you have your growth, learning growth. Yes. You call it. What do you do the other days? We teach lessons and we run problem-based, you know, lessons. We have our kids go through activities and, and tasks uh, to learn the content. And it's, it's the growth days that are taking the time out to do practice where we need to. It's time to look at where our learning goals are and which learning goal could I choose to improve on. Every other day might look the same as you normally would teach, you know, and it's just, it would be this one day is specific to reassessing and addressing and practicing as well where we need to. And it's all cut, you know, because the students can see in my class with that program, I showed you like where they are, they can choose one to work on and they, they have some activities that they can work towards and, or work on to improve and get evidence in to show me like, Hey, I have improved here. I, I want to show you. And I'm like, Hey, I'd love to see it. Let's, let's look. How? Because I tried this so much, I even tried to require pins. How do you stop students from erasing their mistakes? Yeah, it's tough. I often think of this mostly because I think kids, this is something that I strive to help them understand. And I think it just comes because you work with high school students. I work with high school students. I think it's probably easier with younger students to try to convince them that I think they see you as their evaluator and not their coach or their helper or someone who's guiding them to go to wherever they need to go. And when they only see you as an evaluator, they don't want you to see the mistakes because then they think, oh, Mr. Orr thinks I don't know what I'm doing. Instead of being like, Mr. I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. You know, like (laughs) I think that's why they make mistakes. Like they, they cover up their mistakes or they erase them. And before you get over there or before they submit it. And when I see that, that's the conversation I have. It's just a quick conversation to say, Hey, I'd rather see these than not. And so because of these reasons, because, you know, 
I want you to see this as a growth relationship. It's not me evaluating you. I Yes, I have to put a number down, but that's just where you are yeah. based off what we do here. So I think that that's why they covered up. And I, and I think that when I've taken that approach, it, it helps a little bit. Even when I made them write in pen, they would scribble <laughs> yeah. it out so hard. I yeah. Couldn't. Yeah, I tried that too, Terry, a number of years ago. And I was like, ah, it doesn't really help. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? It's like there's two things like we're human. And it's like, I think none of us like if, you know, John and I will do some of these Q&As and every now and again, we'll we'll do a math talk and I'll make a mistake. And it's like I'm like, ah, I get all sweaty. And, you know, like it's like a natural, <laughs> a natural response. And imagine like, you know, I'm sure you've been there where you're in front of a class and you're doing something and you do something wrong. And it's like as much as you want to model how we all make mistakes and how we all learn and, you know, it's part of the game. It's still this like trigger that happens where you're like embarrassed or, you know, what are people thinking? And then the second part is that students have gone through, especially when they get to you, Terry, you're saying grade 10 and 11, mostly they've gone through like 10 plus years of a system that was like, if I show you a mistake, I lose marks permanently. Right. Like, and like, that is something that I think takes a really long time for, you know, you to kind of get out of your head. It's like, I know, I know, sir said that it's not, you know, it's not going to count, but it's like, it's still like embedded. It's still engraved in our, in our minds. So um, yeah, I, I, I think all we can do is we just keep trying to, you know, push that we want to be here. We want to help them and it's all for learning. And it's not perfect. I know it was never perfect when I was doing it, but it was so much better, at least compared to what I was doing prior in terms of like the results and, and just the overall mindset and, um, and, and effort that students would give in general. So definitely worth the work. And, uh, you know, hats off to y'all for, uh, for doing that work and special hats off for, uh, Timothy, for all the sharing and O'Kelly, you had been participating a lot in the chat as well with, you know, some of your, your thoughts and your experience as well, which I think is so important for everyone to sort of share what's working for them, what they're working on. And, uh, and everyone's gonna, you know, sort of pave their own path, uh, that's going to work based on their own circumstance. Well, there you have it, Math Moment Makers. What an awesome opportunity to chat with members from the Making Math Moments That Matter Academy, and uh, in particular, kind of tie it in nicely to our past episode with Tom on assessment. And uh, John, what was something Mm -hmm. uh, from this chat that sort of stuck out to you as maybe something people want to be thinking about as they leave this episode here today? Yeah, I you know what I thought was great that uh, got pulled and I and I think that this doesn't happen a lot. Now we definitely go into it in detail in our assessment for growth course. However, in this particular episode, we chatted about what your grade book looks like and I think that's one of those hey, I want to move to standards-based grading. Like in Tom's episode of 189, he's like, well, if we're not standards-based grading, what are we doing? And I and I think mm-hmm. that there's that idea of like, what does that grade book look like? And I think we got a snapshot of that here in this episode. I'm glad that that came out in our live Q&A. 
but uh, it gives some folks some ideas of like, okay, this is how it can look. And I think that's always important to see these examples. And I think uh, that was a big takeaway for me to help share that with some of the community that are still wondering. So hopefully we did that here with you folks. And that was one of your takeaways, but uh, we would love to hear what your takeaways are. As always, you can share those in our social media or, hey, just hit reply on any of the emails that we send you on a weekly basis. And uh, tell us what your big takeaway from this week's episode or get on over to the Facebook group, Math Makers K-12, share it over there. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, you know what? A great way you can share is also by leaving a rating and review on mm. Apple Podcasts. Just recently, we had our friend here saying, pushing you to dig deeper about how you teach mathematics. And they go on and share one of their awesome takeaways from a recent episode. And that was a five-star rating. You don't understand how helpful it is to share this podcast to a wider audience by just taking a moment, clicking into your podcast app and hitting the five star or whatever star rating you want to do. And of course, taking that extra step and writing a line or two for a review would be fantastic. So thanks a million in advance to those who have already done so. In order to ensure you don't miss out on our new episodes as they come out on Monday mornings, hit subscribe and subscribe over on YouTube as well. We uh, release the video version. So this particular episode had some video content you'll want to check out. Head on over to YouTube, find this episode over there, and you'll be able to watch uh, as well. Awesome. Show notes, links to resources, and complete transcripts that you can read from the web or download and take with you can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 190. Uh, but keep in mind, it's really easy to find. If you just go to makemathmoments.com and click podcast, uh, you can see all of the show notes there. Uh, so it'll be nice and easy for you to find the show notes you are looking for. Well, until next time, Math Moment Makers, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And a high five for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans. But 
more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.